Welcome back to the Rob Skinner Podcast. My goal is to inspire you every week to make the most of your life, make this life count, and to multiply disciples, leaders, and churches. I'm really excited today because I've got Mike Fontenot uh, on the line here from Sydney, Australia. Mike leads the church in Sydney, and he also oversees a number of different churches throughout that area of the world. Um, I've known Mike for a number of years, and Mike is someone I certainly respect in the church planting business, and I'm really excited about what he's going to be sharing here about what God is doing down under, and uh, I think I'm really happy that you've decided to join us here today, and I think there's a lot to learn from Mike and his experience. Mike, welcome to the program. Thank you. Great to be here. You know, Mike, uh, I've I've known known about you so many so many years since I was a young Christian, and you're always a different part of the world. And it's it's been only recently that I've gotten to know you a little bit better, which has been a real blessing to me. Maybe you could just share with listeners how'd you become a Christian? What's what's your story? I, I know that you recently celebrated 50 years as a Christian. You got baptized about 50 years ago. Tell me how you became a Christian. Well, I was, I was uh, raised in the mainland church, church of Christ. My mother went there and my father was a, went to a, up to a Roman Catholic church. And, and long before I was born, they made it, they came to an understanding that children were going to go with her rather than with him, uh, which uh, caused some disarray for him because at that point in history, you were kicked out of the church for doing that if your kids weren't going to be raised. And, uh, and uh, anyway, I was raised in that and continued in that, you know, going with my mom and my two sisters. Uh, by the teenage years, I kind of drifted, you know, began to drift away significantly. My mother uh, uh, was a member there and, and, you know, but it wasn't like she was in the mainstream of it at all. And uh, she would drop us off kind of basically on the midweek rather than come herself. And... Uh, and so I drifted away when I was in high school. By the time I got to be about the year nine, I stopped. I would go sporadically at that point, then became just a whirly high school Louisiana boy, went to university, at, at, started university at Louisiana State University, was a, in a Greek fraternity there, Alpha Tau Omega. And, uh, you know, I, you know, just totally worldly, totally, you know, not in any way a Christian. And then I, uh, uh, then somebody came back, uh, this girl named Kathy came back, who, 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 uh, who seemed to be taking seriously God, you know, and, and, I, and uh, she, we touched base and I thought, I've never met anybody who's seriously taking, taking God seriously, you know, <laughs> just, you know and uh, I thought, oh my gosh, I have to deal with, with this, you know, I have to come to grips with this. And so I wrestled with that, you know, if, if God is God, then, then this, this demands a change. But I'm living as if I believe in God, but but without a change, without without any kind of evidence of that. So, I wrestled with that, and finally, I made up my mind: this I've got to I've got to be all in with God, you know. And uh, so I I you know I took, quit my quit my fraternity, which was uh, quite an emotional, uh, uh, in the sense of they were they didn't understand uh, what I was doing, you know. They because they were all Christians too. What are you doing? That's right. You know, why do you need to leave? You know, and. Uh, so I did that, and I started going to this Church of Christ uh, Student Center there, and then, and then they decided one of the guys there, a professor there, you know, a great guy named Jimmy Lawson, decided to wanted to take us all to a campus, the second campus evangelism seminar, 
So the first one was in Dallas. The second one was in Nashville. You know, it's this early organization of trying to, to do something on the campus rather than this defensive posture of being in a, a Bible chair or a student center off campus as a refuge. It was a whole concept of no, let's not be a, a refuge. We always need to be a refuge in a positive sense. Right. But more also, you know, we're gonna we're gonna attack, you know, the, we're gonna attack the gates of hell rather than have a defensive posture. They're the ones on the defensive, right? You know, the gospel. So I went to that conference there, you know, and then and then I was, you know, uh, I said, oh my gosh, you know, I, I was baptized when I was twelve in the Church of Christ. I, you know, it was on it was a midweek. Uh, I was twelve years old. I, you know, they had an invitation. I went. My mom wasn't even there, and uh, my I, I went for it. They uh, baptized me. Even my mom was member wasn't even there. Never even called her. Her response was, "I thought I should have. I, I knew that might happen. I should. I should have gone," which is kind of interesting, you know, with all the, you know, and so, uh, and so anyway, I, I knew I had never, and I was embarrassed about the whole thing, and there was no no repentance. And so at that point, then uh, I went up to a guy named Charles Sheldon, who was he and Jim Beavis were the two organizers of campus evangelism, and I talked to him about that, and then I was baptized there at that national conference. Uh, and so then I, that began my, uh, that's my 50th anniversary, wow. you know, uh, October, whatever it was, 1970, I guess. Yeah. No, 1969. 1969. That's amazing. That's amazing. Boy, that's a long time ago. Congratulations yeah. on the Tigers winning the national championship. You must've been excited about that. I was so excited about that. That was uh, very, very important. <laughs> Did you get to see the game from uh, down under? I saw half of it. And then I listened to half of it. I was I was uh, I was in transit someplace, and so uh-huh. it was. Uh, yeah, I did watch the replays, and it was it was awesome, of course. Yeah. So um, that was that was great, and then uh, so then I went back to the campus ministers uh, ministry there, and you know, and, and uh, it it was a, uh, it was uh, it was definitely a defensive posture place, full of not full of let me know third twenty or ten fifteen. Students there with the Church of Christ background, you know, and, and uh, you know, and I was coming from a Greek fraternity, and it was like, oh my gosh, this is, you know, uh, they were different. They were different from my old friends, mm-hmm. and uh, they were nice people. But I said, okay, you know, I got to make a difference of that, and so I continued to try to do that, and uh, and that, um, and plug myself in, uh, converted my best friend, and converted, you know, another guy my fraternity you know I, I went back to the fraternity and after six months and and led a bible talk there bible study there soul talk there and uh, converted another guy there so i had several conversions from that from that group then i i, I needed um i needed to do something else and so uh this friend recommended i go join Stan, a guy named stanley ship in st louis who was just starting off a program and so i, I went up there for about nine months and i worked with him and uh, he was a great, great guy, really committed to the word of God. And then after that came back uh, and then uh, was plugged in the campus ministry, had a good campus minister named Bill Love there, uh, Brother Love, and a uh, great preacher of God's word. But then I, when I graduated, I decided to go into the, to go into the ministry. So, it, um, you know, I, I, you know, they were saying, go to, go to one of our Christian colleges, to the grad school, to, you know, and, uh, <laughs> I didn't really like the product that I had, you know, when I was in the campus ministry uh, at that Church Christ Student Center, the guys from Christian College, you know, I just, I didn't really, you know, 
we weren't always on the same page. I said, I don't really want to go there. So I, I went to a place called Fuller Seminary in, in, instead, which was a Bible-believing group of people, but, and then, uh, which was very healthy for me because they didn't have any of the Church of Christ issues. But it, it did, uh, but they, did, they really were strong on the, the Bible and, and scriptures and how to really learn it well, teach it well, study it well, exegete it well. And so uh, I went there for three years, was a campus, was a, was a teen minister and a janitor at the local church church. And uh, I had two jobs. I, I, was the, I was the youth minister. I was going to full time in the seminary. Uh, I, was, I, was the, I was the teen minister and I was the church janitor. That's how they all worked the finances. I worked for two churches that had split and they both hired me, which was unbelievably walking that fine balance and because uh, they didn't like each other. And, uh, but I, then I finally just, uh, the small one, I, which was always complaining about the other one, I kind of left that and just did the, the campus ministry or teen ministry. And from that, I, I took, when I graduated, I took a, an internship with Tom Jones up at Springfield, Missouri for a year and worked with him, which was an awesome experience. And then after a year of that, went back to LSU and started a campus ministry. That church I had been a part of had actually split while I was gone. I wasn't part of that. And they wanted to hire a campus ministry. They were, and so I began with a couple of students and began to work there. And that campus ministry, that was kind of, you know, as Tom Brown would say, some of the golden days of campus ministry when we were baptizing, you know, 100 people. And, and you know, and we had a, a large campus group. And, but in the middle of a mainline Church of Christ, so it was, you know, half of it was fired up and half of it was suspicious and, or, or just not really on the same page. And so... And so I, I just got weary of that. And so I, uh, I, I decided, well, you know, I've always, you know, I've always talked about going overseas, you know, or, or I hear stories about that. And I decided, and so this, this church, this church, this mainline church actually couldn't really fire me because it was, it was too much, it was too big of a group, you know. But when I said, can you support me to be a missionary in Australia? They said, oh, great, <laughs> solves all of our problems. Get you <laughs> so, out of town. So uh, we went to Australia then after five years as a campus minister there and planted a church, uh, worked with the mainline church for about three months till they asked us to leave and start something else. Cause they, you know, and, uh, and then we began a church there and I guess technically, you know, 80, January 82, uh, there was my wife and I and our two kids at that point and another couple called, called the Fredericks, Jerry and Jeannie Frederick used to work for Hope Elder in Philadelphia, great, great guy, he's passed away. But in his three kids, and we started the church at that point. And that was and in after, Sydney. That was in Sydney, yeah. And after a year, we were, which was you know, it's four people, you know, and and um, and we had twenty five baptisms the first year, which was exciting, right? You know, and, and then um, and then by the third year, uh, we had, we were baptizing about thirty or 40, 20, 20 to forty a year. I don't know, something like I don't remember. We we got bigger and bigger until until we, and and so I began to cut my support and after three years, had become self-supporting there in Sydney and so the church, in Baton Rouge you know we cut off a third a year a third support a year, and we're self-supported and by, and then in eighty six or so when the whole movement was beginning to congeal into not just a, a bunch of campus ministers but now we were trying to form a new movement. There was a sense of consolidating and there was a sense of people go get more training, you know, and so I had a choice, you know, I, I wanted to be, you know, I, uh, the other mainline churches of Christ, the Australia didn't really accept us, you know, I mean, we're, we had to, 
we were part of the crossroads movement and we had to disavow that, which I wasn't willing to do. You know, crossroads, I knew, I know you, I don't know. Uh, right. And so, uh, and so I did it. And so eventually, I, you know, I, I decided it was a choice of going to New York, trained to be an elder there or to Boston or to go to London. But London was the way back to Australia since it was going to be part of the same ministry. And so, uh, you know, I went to London for a year and came back after a year and then led Cindy uh, with another brother named Chris McGraw and his wife, Jackie. And then and then, then eventually they left, went back to England. And then we kept leading until 1994 when we went back to uh, Washington, D.C. area, served there until uh, 2000. And then 2006, 2012, at the year 2000, went to Virginia Beach and began working with the Hampton Roads Church. And then after... Uh, that, those years in 2012 came here, August, no, in November 2012. That's quite a journey. So you you planted the church in Sydney, went back for training in 86, and then came back to Sydney in 90, and then went back? No, to... in, in 87. Came okay, back. okay. After a year in London. I see, okay. Yeah. Well, yeah. 50 years, that's a long time, Mike. That's That's a quite a bit of water under the road. How have you managed to keep your love growing? How, you know, Jesus says the love of most will grow cold. What have you done to stay fired up? Now you're, I'm assuming you're in your sixties. What, what's made the difference? One more year. One more year in my sixties. Okay. There you go. <laughs> I was 19 when I was baptized. So you can do the math. There you go. So uh, we're really less than a year. I'm just a few months left in my 60s. So, well, I think what's kept me fired up, and what's always kept me fired up, is that is is the mission. Uh, working, you know, doing the pastoral side of the church is, you know, is is, is rewarding, but but weary, but tiresome. But the mission is invigorating and exciting, you know. And so I, I think I've always been. I've always tried to be in, in studies, you know, and uh, and I've always tried, you know, every month, I haven't always done this, but every month I want somebody to become a Christian. Wow. I was, you know, baptized a guy yesterday I was studying with. He, he, he was 79. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, he was seven, He was the neighbor of one of our members, you know, and they uh, one day he was, he was mad at the other neighbor, reached out to the other and said, I'm really mad. And she said, you should come to church. And he came and, um, and we studied with him for about four or five months. And, and he was baptized yesterday. That's and, uh, awesome. That's great. So I also like I, I like to study with young people, but I also if I if like if like I'm this other age group to me is important for my sense of of uh, of, of what I you know I got to reach out to all levels, but especially my peer group. I'm right. not 79, but right, but he, he's close enough, you know. Yeah. And um, and so he's a great guy. He's doing great, you know. That's really fired up. <laughs> it's it's inspiring, Mike, and and that's one thing that stands out about you to me is you're fired up. You're in your late sixties. You don't seem to be slowing down, um, and, and that's kind of what makes me interested. Is what what's driving you? I mean, okay, the mission. You there also seems to be a component where you're really into the word. You like to do study, you know, deeper study. Um, What's what's driving you? What's what's helping you just to get up every day? 
Well, there's a, there's a sense of when I started, and it's and that's and and the sense of what I have now is is that if if if, if I don't if we don't stay involved, what will the church be like for the next for my children and my grandchildren? Now I have, you know, I have ten grandchildren. I have three three daughters. They're they're married to evangelists and they're doing great. And and my oldest three grandchildren are disciples now. I'm fired about that. As well. Oh my gosh, that's great. So um, I'm, that's that's a great. That's what I think about a lot. I pray about that every when I wake up in the morning, which I, I'm an early riser. It's first on my prayer list is or going through my list of grandkids to make sure they make it. And they marry strong, become disciples and marry strong disciples. That's right. always my prayer. And um, but I but I, I you know what what would the church be like you know because I because you know if you you know if you don't put energy into it it just it goes back to this religiousness you know our the evangelists start becoming ministers now mm-hmm. you know like wow when, when did that happen mm-hmm. you know and, and i'm not that's a biblical term but they're using it in a pastoral sense right you know and they're more into maintenance you know and the, not in like, pushing the kingdom out with the evangelist is not spreading the kingdom preaching the gospel and so i want I, I, if we don't do that then uh and push that uh then then we're, we're going to lose it, you know? And so I, I can't, you know, I, you know, in some sense, I can't change, can't change the world, but you can change where you live, you know, right. Right, with God's help. And, and then uh, hopefully that can influence others at the same time. That's great. So, Mike, um, there's a little bit of feedback, I think from your hands on your desk, I can hear you kind of tapping. So just, sure. if you can just uh, be aware of that, I don't know if you might be not noticing that. Now, that's one thing that's, outstanding you mentioned that your kids are christians you've got four girls they're all disciples three Three girls okay three girls and you've got grandkids who are disciples that's inspiring to people also something that brings a lot of heartbreak to people whose kids are not disciples what was it like raising your kids on the mission field well it was you know we they were they were a great tool our kids, you know, when, when reaching out to a community, because we, when we came, I was a campus minister, but I didn't want to be a campus minister here in Sydney. I wanted to be, I'm, I was, you know, I was wanting to work with my own age group and right. families. And so uh, my kids were the, you know, if you have kids and you put them in the school system and you get these functions, you're, you're less weird if you have kids, right. <laughs> you know, you know, you're kind you have, you know, here's your kids and they, they like your kids. And so you've got to be by, by, uh, you know, you have to be normal then if this is what follows there. So, um, so they were, we were involved in the, in the, they were involved with us in the mission, you know, and I, and I always prayed, you know, I always prayed wherever, cause we went from, from uh, Sydney and into Northern Virginia with, and the teen group there was, you know, we, when we moved there, we doubled the size of their teen group or something. You know? <laughs> uh, I, I always prayed wherever we go, I want to convert families that have kids the same age as mine. And God has always answered that prayer. And so when we re- began reaching out here, we reached out. You know, we had a, uh, uh, we had a bring an everyday service. You know, there's like, you know, about four or five of us or something, you know, six or anything. And, uh, and so we, we had about a hundred there, you know, and, uh, and we went to my, my daughter, my oldest daughter, Mandy Purcell, who lives in Arizona with you in Phoenix, you know, and do, they're doing great there. And uh, she she took the invitations to school and asked all of her friends, and lo and behold, a family came with them, 
who brought another family with him as well, and then another family came with him, you know, and and then then we then uh, and then and then on the way to Fiji, I mean, on the way to Australia in 1981, when we were on on our way, we stopped in Fiji because in those days there was no direct flight, so you had to stop someplace. So I stopped in Fiji, took a few days off, went to a one of their went to an island little resort there, met another family there, who introduced us when we got back to another family. Uh, called the Boardmans, who now they serve as elders in the Melbourne church. I started reaching out to him, who had daughters my age, my, my, my daughter's age. And uh, and it was exciting, even last month, like mon last Monday, my, the guy I reached out to, Peter, and his wife was baptized. Of course, eventually his two daughters were baptized. His mother was baptized. Uh, we studied with her, and and, uh, and she's passed away. And but then this last Monday, uh, Peter's granddaughter was baptized, which meant that was the first fourth generation disciple. Oh my gosh. So that's like, amazing. Oh, four generations, that's, 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 that's pretty cool. That is, that is. So, uh, but God always answered that prayer. People who say to me, I, I need to move because I want my kids to be part of good team ministry. I understand that that may be necessary, but I never, I never, I never thought that. I, I'm tapping the desk and I'm sorry, but I, I never thought that. I thought, no, I don't want to, we, we can make a great team ministry. You know, right. you know, my kids can be the basis of a great team ministry. And, and, uh, and, and they were, and they were in Sydney and they were in uh, Northern Virginia, you know, when I went to Hampton Roads, they, my, I was an empty nester just when I was, I went there at 50 with, as an empty nester. And, and, uh, but I was committed to the team ministry there too, because, I remember, and I remember what it was like. To, you know, I want our kid teens to, to make it. So that became a great team ministry too. So uh, I have great love for the team ministry. We have a great team ministry here in Sydney now. We have like fifty or sixty. When we started here, you know, uh, back in the day, there was first team camp had you know like twenty or thirty people. This last team camp had two hundred teens at it, two hundred and twenty teens at it. Wow. From the far region, you know. Uh, so. Um, or maybe more, uh, but you know we really are committed to that and in making and converting our. We want you know it is a great tragedy when our kids don't make it, and so we want we do everything we can to to do that to make that right. possible. Well, Mike, so. probably got people listening who they want to do ministry. They they're spiritually ambitious. They are either in campus ministry or church leaders or leading a region in some church somewhere. And they've got kids. And they're worried about their kids. They want their kids to become Christians and they worry maybe if they get off into a situation, it's going to be challenging or how's it going to affect my kids? What What are some of the things that you did with your girls from the early days that really helped? What are some of the habits that you had that were unshakable and, and routines that you did that helped, you feel like helped your kids make it? Well, we, you know, we did have family devotionals, you know, and that we had those, you know, regularly. Though we're not, not you know, it's not like we never missed, but that was a big part of our life. We would have prayer list, and we they involved in the mission. We used our home and for hospitality for a lot of. We were reaching out to a lot of families at the dinner table. They were they were they were engaged. They were part of it. Uh, as I said, each of my kids converted to best friend, you know, and so Megan converted, you know, uh, her best one of her best friends, Rachel, and 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 then there was. Uh, Megan, Michelle converted another one, you know, uh, uh, Michelle and, and Sydney, then we went to Australia, we went to America, they can, 
Megan converted a girl named Morale, who's faithful disciple in Virginia, and, and uh, Megan helped convert a girl named Lindsay, who now leads the Roanoke Church. Uh, and, uh, and so they were always, you know, it, was, it, it, it wasn't like it's the, in, a, in a positive, not in a negative sense, but it was just the family business. You know? <laughs> it's a good way to view it. It's, it's exactly yeah. true. And, yeah. And hey, this is, what, this, is who, who, this is who we are. This is why we're here. Yeah. This is our purpose here, you know? And, well, I, and I so, agree with you, Mike. And I think one thing that I see a lot is what I see is more kid-centered parenting rather than Christ-centered parenting, where parents are so afraid for their kids that it ends up kind of debilitating their kids spiritually. And they, you know, they don't see the mission in their, their family, their parents. So we always, we, you know, we, we stressed all my kids graduated from high school. All my kids graduated from university. One got a master's degree They they all, I wanted them to go to finish. I wanted them to do well at school. They went to good universities, you know, uh, uh, you know, and uh, they didn't necessarily go to the best universities, but that may not have been because of a, <laughs> they got and they went to great universities. My mom, University of Maryland, James Madison, Virginia. Right. And so, uh, but that was not, you know, and my kids would 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 say that we'd be really happy when they came back with a great grade, but we would be very excited when they had a visitor. <laughs> right. Right. You know, and, you know, and I and I used to tell my kids, you know, I remember with what Michelle once saying, you know, you. You, you're doing, you know, you're doing real well in school, you know, and, uh, and you're popular, you know, and, uh, but, you know, you never have a visitor. So if you're, you don't have a visitor, you're fitting in at school. Right. You right. know, and I, I, you've got to, you got to make, you got to take a stand. Right. You know, high school is tougher than university. That's for sure. Sharing your faith. But, the, but if you can do it there, then it'll be so much better in university. That's right. You know, and, uh, and, and so I was, that was a big deal to me. I did not, uh, I, yeah, I care about their academics, like any parent, not a lot, not all parents, but, I, but I wasn't, you know, I didn't, I didn't put, you know, they could be, they could be an extracurricular activity, but not at the expense of church. Right. I expected them to go to midweeks and teen devotionals on Friday nights, and they could be in, in a sport that didn't involve, that didn't conflict with that. They could be in a program, an extracurricular activity. But church, but God's kingdom came first. Uh, you know, I remember Michelle, our youngest, was a great, you know, she was a cheerleader, you know, and they had a cheerleading camp uh, every time, every year, at the, and uh, at the same time as teen camp, you know. And so, you know, what's she going to, you know, you know, and it, so if I don't go to cheerleading camp, they'll come in from the team. And we said, well, that's the way it is. And they said, well, what, well, well, write me a letter so I can be excused from the teen camp. And I said, we said uh, that my wife told her, no, you're going to explain to the, your coach why. And so she had to go and explain, I have to go to this teen camp first. I want to be a cheerleader. And, and she was such a, she was great, such a great girl. They said, what? That's fine. You know, <laughs> it's kind of interesting when, when they, at the end of it, because she became captain of the cheerleaders. And then at graduation, they decided to have at Langley High School, which was a very prominent high school in Virginia, next to Langley, you know, Langley, Virginia, you know, where a lot of the high-profile high people. She was in school with the Supreme Court justices' children. With but they decided to have a baccalaureate, baccalaureate service there at the school, which is which is in addition to graduation. There's a kind of a religious ceremony they, they wanted to have it for the very first time. 
there was a woman named uh, uh, was it Sylvia Crystal. Her husband was Bill Crystal, a commentator at Fox News or something, and and uh, she was Jewish. And and, uh, and they said so we need to get a speaker. And they and they and then they thought, well, you know, the most her daughter was also a cheerleader, and and uh, they said, well, you know, the person who's really sincere about their faith is Michelle. And so and so they asked me to to come. She she actually came to church to to. Uh, hear if I was a good speaker or not. <laughs> and then they, so I did the baccalaureate there you know oh. and uh and and that was uh in, interesting you know and That's uh, great. but again I, I I you know they have to be involved in the in the mission and when you get to university you have to be involved yes make good grades for sure but not not at the expense of your spirituality right and and uh and you got to put God first and uh and they did, you know. And, well, obviously, um, and, they're all they're all faithful, and that's pretty. That's really impressive. Like, yeah, me... and I, we we had standards. I said, you know, you, you of course you can only go out with Christians, you know, and and then they, you know, they'd be this little. Uh, well, I'm invited to a party, you know, and and of course I said, what it's what's well, a mixed party? I said, you know, you're not going to a mixed party. Oh, the parents will be there. I said, yeah, they'll be there upstairs watching a watching a video. Right. You know, you don't understand the guys are going to hit on you. I'm not, you can't go to that scenario there, you know, and, uh, and you, you, you can go to Christian, you can go to the prom with a Christian brother, but you can't, you can't, uh, you know, that, that we had our standards. We had, our, uh, again, you can be in sports, but not, a, not if it conflicts great. with the kingdom first. That's great. And so, you know, I don't, looking back now, they don't care whether they were in a, a cheerleader or not. They care about whether they're disciples, right? Now they've got kids. Right. They want to become these things don't matter they think we think they matter so much they don't matter right not, not in the long run well mike let me ask you this question what what would you tell a younger man or younger woman who has spiritual ambition someone like yourself who's younger they'd like to do ministry they're not sure they don't know exactly where they're going to do it but they they want to do something for god what what would you advise them to do they want to go in the ministry, but they don't know whether. Well, they don't know where. They don't know how to, you know, to, to take the first steps. Maybe they're a Christian one or two years. Someone with spiritual ambition, leadership ambitions, what advice would you give them? Well, I mean, you know, you you start with proving yourself before you're in the full-time ministry, you know. And so you lead a great Bible talk. You 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 go to, you you seek it out. You seek out discipling. Uh you, you, you know, we, we, you, you, you got to say, well, what, you know, I know what I want to do, but what does God want me to, to do, you know, and, and part of it is, of course, God wants effective leaders, you know, God wants people who, God wants people who are gifted in leadership, and that's a spiritual gift in Romans 12, mm -hmm. and so, it, well, how do you know whether I'm gifted in leadership? Well, you, you don't need to be full-time to be, to find that out, you can just lead a Bible talk. You know, and if you're fruitful there and, and growing there, and you really want to be in the ministry, you can, you know, then, then, then uh, those doors will will open. Okay, well, you know, you know, when I was a younger Christian, Mike, the atmosphere among the churches that that I was a part of, and I'm sure you're probably a part of, there were a lot of people wanting to go into the full time ministry, and I I don't get that sense as much today. Um, I don't know what your perspective is, but it seems like. A lot of people are heading into maybe grad school or the business business arena. Ministry seems to have lost its luster a little bit. What's what's your thoughts on that? 
Well, I, uh, it, 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 I don't have any idea what's going on in America about, about this particular issue, but where we live, we have a mission school and we have, you know, t two or three times a year, uh, twice a year. Uh, we have campus retreats, you know, we, and, uh, and uh, we have, we put 20, I think 25 people in the ministry since we've been here, since 2000, 2013. Uh, and uh, there are people lined up wanting to be, having the opportunity to go in the ministry. So it's not even so an I, issue I, I, down there. So it's not, not the, not the case there in Australia. It's not the case because it, that's one of the highest things to do to go in the ministry, you know, okay. nothing wrong with getting a job and, and doing something else. Don't get me wrong, but you know, to be in the ministry, that's wow. How do you turn that down? You know, everybody, but they, they go to mission school. They, so there's a pool of people who are desiring the ministry, who feed off each other from our, from our 11 churches. And when they get together, there's this synergy there that, that's so exciting that they, they think, oh, this is the best thing in the world, you know? Uh, well, what I'm more like to, what can I do that has eternal consequences more than this, you know? And, uh, and, and, and so we, we're careful about who we put in the ministry. We don't, we don't want to put people in and out quickly. You know, they need to be, we, we don't have a lot of turnover. We, nope, we're not taking any. We've only taken like one or two people out of the ministry, you know, uh, maybe only one couple. And, and so we, but we make sure that they are really equipped for that. And then we really try to train them the best that, that we can, but we have a high expectation and they know about that high expectation that doesn't tell people that attracts people ministries that have low expectations. Why would anybody want to give their best to that when they don't, they don't want your best. Okay. Well, that leads into a, uh, you know, a, another a discussion. Might, Right. A company might want the best, right? But an Amazon might want your best, but but the church wants you to be mediocre. I don't. They don't want that. But it's it doesn't. We gotta want it's the very best for God. You know? That's right. That's right. I'm in total agreement there. I was talking to a guy named Joel Nagel, and Joel's done an amazing job in in Lansing, Michigan, turning his church around that was pretty much dead, and he got it going again. And I said, "How'd you do it?" And he said, well, I ran into Mike Fontenot in Israel and I asked his advice and Mike said, high faith, high expectations. And yeah. that phrase turned, turned me around and then I came back and turned my church around. We've got people that are listening to this podcast that are church leaders, small church leaders that would love to turn their church around. They're in churches of 30, 20 50 people meeting with maybe 90 people at church and have been there for 10, 15 or 20 years have, have not seen significant growth in years. Tell me what high faith and high expectations means to you. Well, I, I you know, I think it means, um, what, well, well, as it, it, on face value, you know, you, you, you have to believe this is going to happen. You know, I, I think there's a caution, uh, people, uh, and some leaders have cautions about growing too fast. They have memories of a lot of fallaways and, uh, and they want to be very careful and their zeal to be very careful. Uh, they don't, you know, they may have had, the, the amount of people saved doesn't increase, it actually decreases, you know. Even if you're baptizing 100 and kept 20, the next time, now, now you're baptizing 20 and keeping, keeping five. You know, it's, it's and, and so I, I don't want to lose that many people, by the way. We don't lose that many people. We have about a, you know, a 60% retention rate over, wow. over a five-year period or something like, like that. And uh, or 
but as, as long as it's 50% to me, that's fine anyway, because, you know, it, it, you baptize 100 people and, then, and you're 50, 50 stay faithful. Amen. That's plus 50, you know. And, and we, uh, so I think, the, you know, what, what can God do? Well, far more than we can ask or ask or imagine. And then, and then, uh, um, so you got to say, okay, you know, because, you know, we came back to a region that was flat. Okay. It's been flat for, for five, for since 2002, or maybe longer than that, even before that was flat. But in 2003, in 2003, it, our region went from like 1,400, 1400 people to 600 people. It went from uh, only two or three full-time people left in the in the ministry, in the whole in the whole region, you know. And so uh, there were there were a few guys who got back in the ministry. One couple that stayed there, and but their expectation level grew. It wasn't a matter about getting them to. I had we had to demonstrate that 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 we could do this, you know. And so we came into Sydney, uh, Massa and the Pacells, and of course the, the Camerons that came into Sydney too, and that really turned around so many hearts and then went on to Melbourne, helped turn that around and they've gone on to Perth and they're doing a great job in Perth, Dublin, that church. And then the, the, the Blahys came into New Zealand and they uh, they came out of Hampton Roads and they were fired up and they, they've tripled that church over, over a longer period of time. They've been there for uh, six, six years and Sam and Michelle have been in Perth like two years. So they're all on the same kind of pace, but they, um, but, but again, you know, we have to lead the way by example. So if, if, if Sydney, Sydney needs to show that, that we can have higher, that people can become Christians. I believe they can become Christians, you know. Uh, the, the, the harvest is plentiful. The workers are few. And so Jesus says that, and I take that scripture to mean wherever I live, the harvest is plentiful. The workers are few. So it's a leadership issue. The workers being, in some sense, leaders in some sense. We have a leadership issue because, believe it or not, God's the same here as he is in Arizona, as he is in India, as he is in <laughs> England, you know? And, and, and so it's the same God. If one church is not growing and one isn't, well, is that because... And then you know, people get so wrapped up and we'll study the culture out and know the culture or this generation or generation, whatever they call it now, uh, uh, and our list, you know, what is the post-generation modern man? Let's let's really try to figure that out. I've been hearing that for fifty years from these people, from 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 people who's been there. I remember in the late late sixties. Let's figure out this generation. They're trying to overturn the world and against the war, and if we can figure them out. We'll re we'll reach them out. And then every generation says the same thing. We we don't need to talk. We do need to know our cultures. And I'm, but that's a small part of what I think about. <laughs> it's minuscule. All I know is if I get the word of God out and people will hear the word of God, that faith comes from hearing the word. The word of God never comes back empty, but always returns, produces growth. Isaiah 55, uh, Romans 10, faith. Then if I get the word of God out into any culture in the whole world, and we live in a place of multiple cultures, we have the Australian secular culture and New Zealand, the same, which is very secular, by the way. This is like, you know, not, this is not a religious place. And, and then we have the islands out there. They are very religious. That's another culture. Then we have Papua New Guinea, which is about a kind of a third culture, which is kind of religious, but also kind of, you know, fourth world. And, and but every, but every uh, word of God will produce this harvest. And so let's, let's, the high expectations is if we get enough, 
people studying the Bible, uh, people will become Christians. And so we, let's, let's just let's start asking. Let's start setting up studies. Let's get let's get the word. Let's share our faith. You know, uh, and uh, and then and the expectations are it, not just expectations of fruit, but are it, it's a, it's it's high standards. In other words, uh, you know. It's in an odd way, the narrower the door, the more attracted it, it, it is to a, a lost world. The broader the door, the less attractive it is to a lost world. Right. And 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 we're we're scared the narrower the door. We're so we're so scared that God forbid we we violate that that new fruit of the Holy Spirit tolerance, you know. Right. Uh, and, and 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 you think, hey man, it's the word of God. Already, that's the judge, that's the standard, John 12. We we, we know all that and, and 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 that's the that's the that's the canon the ruler and let's let's get it out there and if it's narrow it's narrow if it's not it's not but uh let's uh, let's have a high expectations of of who's a christian how to become a christian and what the christian life means and what discipleship really means uh we our attendance on wednesday night and for my christians is the same as our attendance on sunday in general mm. we, we don't have we don't have a you know x number on sunday and only a third of that on our midweek service it's the same number in general you know and uh, because we expect our members we cannot you know you know it's kind of basic when we count the cost with anybody we tell them they need to go to every church service well <laughs> we walked in a place where people weren't really doing that so we had to have a few conversations are we supposed to change the rules change counting the counting the cost or we need to recount the cost with you, right? And of course, that becomes now. Right. And so, to be a member of the Sydney Church, you come, you're committed to come to all the services. We're not weird. It's the habit of coming, right? Right. You know, everybody misses. Everybody goes on holidays. Sometimes there's a work conflict. It's but what's what's your habit? That's per makes perfect sense to me. You, you know, you return to Australia at a time most people are retiring, and. It makes me makes me wonder. I, I know I talked to your wife Tess a little bit, and it seemed like she she was pretty much ready to retire. But why did you come? Why did you decide to come back to the situation? You've been in the states, your your kids were there, uh, at least some of them. What what drove you to go back to Australia? Well, you know, we, we started. We came to Australia because I had a dream of, of really trying to reach out, you know, build a great ministry in Australia. You know, in, in nineteen. 90 in, in 1994 we were pulled back from australia to virginia you know um, there was a consolidation and there was a you know uh it's an act a whole other story right sure <laughs> of why that happened you know and uh the result of that was that australia that worked you know that was a high point of their new of their numerical growth and it, it declined from that point on until you know as i said there were like 600 disciples in 2012 and i and i i don't know i i never left i never lost that dream so i thought man if, if i could just kind of um and the dreams not i'm not going to finish the dream but i can get it on better footing you know well mike there's and, a lot there's quite a few disciples of your of your age uh i mean a lot of my older brothers and sisters were your age baby boomers they're retiring now any advice for them now that they're retiring? Any any ideas for their you know spiritual direction? 
No, I mean, you know, how do you retire from being a disciple? I mean, this retirement's a modern kind of concept. By the way, I don't, I, I don't want to, I too would not, you know, have an exit plan to, to, to not be paid full-time, you know, which is responsible to open up the doors for other people to come in. But, but I don't think that changes what I do. Maybe I, maybe I have a little bit more, uh, you know, free time to, to, uh, to just travel for fun. You know, <laughs> I travel. I'm for, it's, never, it's always for ministry, you know. Right. Uh, I, uh, but I, when we're growing up, you know, we always say, well, you know, I'm going to work, you know, real hard. And I'm going to, when I retire, then I'll be able to work full time for the church, you know. And, and of course, you know, that, that didn't happen. People you know, had kids and the kids had grandkids and they couldn't leave the grandkids and they couldn't do those kind of things. You know, I had to, I had to, we were able to take the whole clan with us when we first came back in 2012. That was kind of fortunate, 2013. Uh, but I, I, I think, you know, people say that, but then, then they don't do it. It's kind of like Acts chapter one and two, you know, I mean, the disciples, Jesus kept saying over and over and over again, go out, go right. to the ends of the earth. Right. But that they didn't, and they didn't probably for the same reasons. They were had their families, they had their jobs, they had their grandparents to take care of and was going to take care of them. Yeah. You know, and uh well, I, and I had to struggle with that. You know, my my own mother passed away a month ago, you know, or six weeks ago. I'm sorry about go, that. And uh uh, my sister did a great job taking care of her, you know, and I would go back twice a year and spend time with her. But uh, I, uh, 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 you know, but I mean, I don't, you know, if if if, I, if people didn't do this, the gospel would never have spread out of, out of any place, right? right. I mean, we, we live out here in the South Pacific, and you go out to the islands, you know, like Fiji or Tonga or Samoa, and they're super religious, you know. You know, and, and, and most of them are Methodists because in the 1800s, these Methodist ministers went on one-way journeys to start the church there and, and uh, never went back, you know, and, and uh, they were like going to the moon, all right? right? You know, going to Mars to start a church. And I think, wow, you know, and look at the heritage that they've left. I respect that, you know, and, uh, and I, I think... How else, unless people decide to say, uh, boy, let the dead bury the dead, but you go proclaim the, the word, you know, we, we take that seriously, or is that just kind of a metaphor of something, you know, or we just kind of wink at that, right? Let me right. just wink at that. Right. He doesn't really mean that. Right. He doesn't really mean to give up everything, you know? Right. You know? And wow. I, I think, you know, we have to, we have to do that. We have to say, but the people who are re retiring, well, how are you going to serve God now? You know, what are you going to do? Play more golf? Maybe. Okay. Nothing wrong with that, by the way, to play more golf, but, but what's your mission? Right. You know, well, what's, what are you going to get done? That That's inspiring to me. That's, that's why I love talking to you, Mike. I love the way you think. I love your attitude and it, it just flat inspires me because this is the kind of talk you're talking like the ministers would talk when I was a young Christian. You're, you're like a, a timepiece from 30 years ago, which is, you know, exciting to me. Let's, let's go back to your coming back to Australia the third, the third time, right? 2012. Is that right? Right. Okay. So you came back, the church had dropped 50% in size. It's struggling. Expectations are low. 
You've only got three people on staff. How many churches did you have at that point? We came back in November of 2012. So we kind of kicked, by the time we settled down, it started 2013, January. We had uh, a church in Sydney, Melbourne, Brisbane, Gold Coast, uh, Auckland, and Perth, so, and Papua New Guinea. So about seven churches. Okay, seven churches. What was the combined membership of those churches, that family of churches there? It was 750 in, when we arrived in and, yeah. Okay, and now it's 1,400? 1,400, yeah. Oh, my gosh. So it's, it's doubled in the last seven years. That's amazing. And Sydney was 161 when we got here. And, and what's and now it now? 350. 350. So you're meeting with like 500 people on Sunday. Is that right? Yeah. That's well, it. we're not really meeting. I don't know. You know, I can't tell from the <laughs> <laughs> You can put any number in the slot these days and just... <laughs> you might be meeting with a thousand, who knows? Okay, yeah. so facing a situation of little or declining growth, you go, okay, this you're walking into a situation that's not good. It's been bad for a while, which unfortunately, there's a lot of situations around the world. What was your plan? What was your mindset, Mike, coming in? You know, you're you're not a spring chicken anymore. You're 63, 62. And how'd you execute it? What'd you, what'd you say? Okay, I'm, this is what we're going to do. Well, we, you know, as far as the Purcells were leading the church and, and, and we were leading the, the region. So we were, so I do my part to lead by example. So we would, uh, but, but the expectations were, let's, let's grow. We need to, to you know, there was, it's kind of funny, you know, we came, we came back and they were into um, issues. They, they'd studied the women's role for, 12 months and had a paper on it, the women's role, you know, and, uh, and, and it was all kind of like, you know, okay, you know, <laughs> well, how's, how's it grow, you know, and so we, 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 um, we said, let's, we're going to start, we want, we're going to start push, we're going to lead by example and pull people forward. And, and, and if there's a problem, we run to the problem rather than run from the problem. And we just and we start calling people back to discipleship, and we let them see people becoming Christians because nothing changes a bad attitude like seeing people baptized, you know. Because you you know you know if you try if you try to fix the church and then move forward, you, you keep telling them and you and they can't they don't listen to you because nothing's happening. So why should they listen to you? But if the church starts growing, then the, then they kind of go well. I mean. Who gets upset about baptisms, right? New birth, new people becoming Christians, you know? And so we, we changed the atmosphere. And by the way, those issues disappeared, you know? As soon as you get involved with, with the mission, those other issues become secondary to all that. It becomes, I just, they just dropped off the whole planet. I mean, they, we didn't, they're not an issue. Though we have great women's ministry. And of course, Tess, my wife, was really strong with women's ministry because the women were hiding, the women were hiding. Uh, and, and the men were kind of hiding. And in the absence of men, men, men leadership, the women stepped up. That's kind of why you have papers on the women's leadership because the men aren't leading, you know? And so the, so the women, good hearted as they are, will fill the vacuum. Like a good mother, when the dad's not leading, will still try to do the job of doing both, but never doing, but never the God's plan, right? You know, and, and it's hard. And, uh, and so we, the men started leading. And when the men started leading, women were fired about that. And they involved with the women's ministry. 
and my wife's a very feisty woman and she's got the women together and they, they have their own services on Friday nights once a month called the Wow Women of the Word. Uh, and uh, that's great success. She's super committed and intense and, and uh, the brothers think that's great. Brothers are trying to all the way leading the way, want to be leading the way by example. We, we have our, our, our stats are pretty much 50-50 when it comes to membership. We don't have an abnormal, we don't have, it's not 60% women, it's 40% men, it's 50-50. Uh, in, in May at times, in the singles ministry, be slightly more men than women, to tell the truth. You know, but I think that's better. Yeah. You I know, because I think the girls will come, you know, and um, we've got lots of guys, you know, and uh, lots of guys were raising up. And we're, and we're so excited about that. So, it's, uh, it, it's really amazing what you've done. It, and what impacts me and why I want to talk to you. Mike is your church is growing, but you're getting other guys to grow their churches. So there's a culture that's spreading of growth and health and vitality, which is fantastic. Now we've, we've got people that are in situations maybe that have been stagnant or plateaued for a while. Um, they're discouraged. They're feeling down. What advice would you give them? What, what would you tell them to, to pull themselves up by their bootstraps? What's, what's your advice? Well, I mean, what's, you've got your own situation, but we've got people that are listening, maybe, you know, in India, maybe they're in Southeast Asia, who knows what's transferable from your situation to their situation. Well, you know, one of the things, you know, is, is the, the guys in that situation need to say, you know, I, I gotta, I gotta be willing to, to step out here. You know, I, I love the parable of the talents and are, are the bags of gold it depends on the translation in Matthew 25, where, where the, where the, where the man gives one bat, one man, uh, five bags of gold, one man, two bags of gold, one man, one bags of gold. And then he comes back, you know, in a, in a year and, or whatever it was. And, and the guy with five has five bags of gold, one with two, with, has two bags of gold. I mean, he, they've doubled it. One with one has buried it. And of course gets the rock of the, of the man. You buried it. You, you know, you haven't done anything with it. And so when I get out of that, what, one of the big things I get out of, of, of that is, 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 is how do you, in a short amount of time, how do you double your money? <laughs> what kind of investment gives you a hundred percent return in a short period of time? And the answer is one that involves a lot of risk because <laughs> you're not going to get that without, you know, if you want, if you want your little, you know, smaller growth, which by the way, the, the, the master was happy for the guy would have just put in the bank, but, but, but he commends the ones who doubled, who got a hundred percent growth in a short period of time. And that meant taking risk. And, and so I think these young, these leaders, wherever they are saying, oh, hey, I'm, I'm going to step out here. You know, I, I'm, 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 I'm not going to complain about the situation. Like the guy with one talent complained about how hard the master was, the man was, you know, and God said, well, you, you, God says, you think I'm hard? Well, you, I'll, I'll treat you that, 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 that way. But he commends them in their joy. You know, they went out in their joy, you know, because they, because they took risk. And I think, I think we could, faith involves risk taking. Faith involves, we're having new standards. We're, faith involves, uh, we're going to have high standards of making sure people are dating Christians, not just loose, loosey-goosey. Uh, uh, 
but we're going to have high standards about what it means to how people become Christians and the narrow door and, and high standards about big, coming to our services. And, and we're going to have these conversations that will be risky conversations. And, and it may put your job on the line. And you got to say, what are you going to do? Put your job on the line or say, well, I've got to play it safe here. I just want to play it safe. That has a bad outcome. Okay. And you may survive and it may be nice. And you may be a nice little metaphor of a, of a, of a, of a nice religious guy but you're you're not you're not changing changing the world you know mm. you know and i i, I kind of like that book you know why men hate church I, I don't know if you've ever read that book but it's a you know part of it you know is men don't want to come to church to hear about family life all the time right that, that's that's a womanized church and of course right. and praise god that women want to help the family i i, I need that you know my, my wife says if it's just a man-led church and and not and the women there's no women's ministry, then there's no hospitality going on. There's no nurture going on. Right. It's it's a two, two full thing. But the but the men bring the cutting edge. Right. You know, Jesus said, "Come follow me and change the world." And so, get back to said, "I want to, I want to change the world," and that will draw young people who want to change the world, especially young men, mm-hmm. and and strong young men draw strong young women. Yeah. That's great. You want to change the world. Okay, Mike, y- y- you've had a, from all accounts, it's it's been a really impressive 50 years as a disciple and as a church leader. Tell me about a time when you came back from, from setback. Tell, tell me when you came back from a time of, of failure. You know, people deal with that. I've certainly dealt with it. Just times where you just had to pick yourself up. What'd you do? What advice would you give those who are dealing with that? One of, the, one of the things I, you know, I, I think when I left Australia in 94, <clears throat> I went to Northern Virginia, there was a sense of great loss at that point. And then leading the whole region, I'm going to lead half of a region of a big church. And, I, you know, and I, and, I, and I thought, you know, when I was trying to hold on to my job in Australia, you know, I, I kind of, I, I would do whatever, you know, how do you lead a D group? What's everybody doing with D groups? And let's, you know, do this or that, you know, and let's have these motivational uh, sermons, you know, three points, you know, of, of inspirations, you know, and, uh, and anecdotal preaching and uh, great stories and build a sermon around the story. And, and, uh, and, and, and let's work on high attendance, you know, and, and, uh, and, uh, and a flash service. And I thought, you know, you know, that's not who I am, you know. So I went back to Northern Virginia and led a region. And I, and I said, I have nothing to lose. I have nothing to lose. So I'm going to do things the way I built. I started doing them when I started the Sydney church, you know, I'm I'm going to preach the word. I'm going to make disciples, you know, and, uh, uh, and I'm going to, you know, I'm not going to do all these numbers, numbers things, you know, they, you know, they'd say, what's your attendance? I said, I don't know. I just put a number down. I I thought, okay, I know. I'm not, I'm about making disciples. I'm about keeping disciples. And, you know, and you can tell whether your church is growing because it's bigger and there's more contribution and, and there's all kind of signs right. and, and a lot of baptisms and stuff. And, but I said, I'm, I'm going to, I'm, I'm, you know, I, when I tried to hold on to something, I lost it. When I, when I said, I have nothing to, to lose, let me just be, let me do what I think is right, which is preach the word, make disciples. Uh, and uh, and keep the standards high, uh, and uh, 
keep my family faithful. Uh, I, those are things that count. I'm going to stress those things. And when I did that, you know, uh, everything, it did, it, my ministry actually started growing in a healthy way in Northern Virginia. Oh yeah. It did a fantastic job there. It's, and, and then we did from there, we went down to Hampton Roads and took over down there. I wanted to get away from all of the, some of the politics of the church at that point. And that was met with a lot of resistance, but I said, I'm 50 years old. I, I, I mean, they, they eventually let the powers that be let, let me do it and leave. And I was quite happy just making that church a great church. But I didn't, again, not, I don't care. I don't care what the latest fad is in our movement. Okay. Okay. Well, that leads me to my next question here, Mike. Let's just imagine you had a, a magic wand. Okay. And you got appointed as the leader of the family of churches that we're a part of, the International Churches of Christ. And all of a sudden, everyone's looking at you for direction moving forward. What would you do to get all of our churches moving forward if somehow you just found yourself in a position where what you said went. What would what would be your solution? Get all of our churches growing again. Well, I mean, I, I would first of all, you know, I'd say let's let's restate our let's restate our mission statement. You know, we're here to seek and save the lost. Let's be clear about that. Uh, there can be uh, other programs that can supplement that, but those are vitamin pills. You know, they're not they're not they're not the meat and potatoes of what we do. What we do is make disciples. What we do is save souls and keep them saved. And yet, and those other incidental programs can be exciting programs, but they're not my, they're not, that's not who I am, you know. Uh, you know, I preach the word and remember the poor. I, I don't preach the poor, preach about the poor and remember the gospel, you know. And, and, and what, what's, what's, our, what's our mission? And are, are any other incidental programs people, because people are, in our movement have always, my experience, everybody looks for a silver bullet to, to kind of turn things around. Well, here's the silver bullet, preaching God's word, you know, and, and living it out to hearing and doing, building your house on the rock, hearing and doing God's word and, and all of God's word. And then and then say, we got to call our people back to these standards and and uh, no matter what the, what, what the cost. And and uh, I would say, let's start doing that uh, and, and then start, you know, I, we preach ex exposition. Uh, that's just what, what we do. And for me, that's great. I, we're not against topical. We just had a campaign. We had some topical sermons in that camp, camp, camp campaign for a, a month, but then we go back to our exposition that, that in that way, we preach what God, whatever the text says, not just what we think God wants us to hear. We preach whatever the next, the next chapter is, the next pericope is of the, of the, of a gospel or whatever text we're going through. And, and that becomes it. And so it may, I think, wow, what is, what, what is this? This is, what, this is not our need. Well, it can be our need. How do I know? I don't, we're not inspired. God knows our needs more than we know our needs. So we preach the whole counsel of God, you know, and, um, and we work hard at that. And we work hard at doing, you know, we have our mission school that teaches a lot of principles of, of good ex exegesis, good exposition. Uh, and, uh, and, our, and, then we, and then we model that as well. You know, because people remember scriptural sermons more than they re remember anecdotal sermons where they remember the story, can't remember the text, you know, right. and you kind of go, wow, that doesn't produce faith. Mm. It's just like chicken soup for the soul stuff or something, you know, 
what, what is that? That's like baby food, you know? It's, you know, it doesn't, it's the word of God, it's, it's the meat that God yeah. it says it over and over again. And we are committed to that. So that get us back to the word of God. We started our movement back in, I was there in the early days of starting our movement before, you know, not, not some living room. I'm talking about campus evangelism right. days, you know? Right. And, and we went to, we went to churches that had stinking lousy services and lousy singing and lousy preaching because we were the campus ministers. And we still grew the church because what do we do? We brought the word of God and we showed the word of God and people became Christians. So our silver bullet was the word of God. It wasn't a great service. It wasn't great music. It, it, it wasn't, it was, it was simply that. And boy, God did just great things at that, at that moment. Now I'm all for having great service. I'm all for those kind of things, but those are supplements to the word of, to the word of God, you know, that yeah. it's, you know, got to make sure that words preach. That nothing that creates the growth and, and that and it always does and we live that out right. we do the work of an evangelist mm -hmm. we get with people we go house to house we're out on the field we're always in a study uh, i find that, that when i'm in a when, when i'm in a, every month and i'm in a study and somebody's baptized that i'm in a personal study with not my per, i don't care about the word personal fruits group fruit to me right. you know we're, we're, like, we're, we're throwing out nets there we're all working together right but if i'm in that one of those studies they become a christian we we always meet our goal you know right and it's just it's just it's because i guess god says okay you know he's not just fooling around here you know he's out there on the field and that seeps down through all the cracks to every member member they know mike's out there mike's around Mike's, they see me, they yep. see the action. That's great. And, that, and we got to be living that, living that life. Well, Mike, who, who else do you know that's really standing out? Who's growing right now? Tell me, give me the names of people who are multiplying disciples, leaders, and churches. Who's inspiring you right now? Uh, you are. Oh, well, you're, thank you're inspiring you. me. You know, I went, I heard the great things are going on in Tucson, you know, and um, I went to your class at, uh, San Diego, I think, and you, 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 had, you, had, you had great growth, and you had a kind of a flat year, and you jumped, jumped, jumped again. I think that's, I think that was right. Is that mm -hmm. basically oh, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. I was inspired by that because we all have a, we all have flat years, you know, and uh, uh, so that you're, you inspired me. And uh, when they ask for big name speakers, I always say Rob Skinner. How can oh. we have Rob, Rob Skinner? <laughs> Thank you. But. Uh, uh, and then I, I, you know, I like what Mohan Nunjan Nunjan's doing in uh, London and uh, Mohan and Helen. Uh, they also, you know, Helen, Helen's, you know, um, in her 60s too. You know, I shouldn't say that publicly. But you, know, <laughs> she's like, but, you know, Mohan and I, we worked, you know, we worked, you know, we, we and other, other people helped get the London church was divided into eight kind of separate churches, merged them all into one. And then when they were when they were that size, they were about I don't know six or seven hundred people. Now there are a thousand members there, you know. And and Mohan and Helen have done a great job uh, of doing that, preaching God, having keeping high standards. I think Ed, uh, Deb Anton and, and Hampton Rhodes uh, always creatively are are doing things that inspire me. Um, uh, and uh, I, you know, I. This kind of stuff always leaves people out that I, I forget, you know. Well, you know, there's you know? there's two people that come to my mind that that are in your group, Dave Bliley. Oh yeah, those and guys. Sam are Sam yeah. Cameron. Those are two guys yeah. that I I look forward to talking to in the future. It seems like they're just doing 
amazing things in their churches. So I, I will definitely, they are. I know it's a tough question. You don't want to leave anybody out, but uh, it just helps me, Mike, to keep an eye out for those who are really. Our region, I'm, I'm inspired by by almost everybody in our region. Yeah. Uh, David and and Megan and Auckland, Sam and Michelle and Perth are just doing phenomenal. They've got creative ideas. Uh, uh, and we have a couple up in the Gold Coast who've, who've, uh, you know, you know, almost double the, almost double the church. Robin, Katie, Mulhern. We got Felix and, and Ashley up in uh, Papua New Guinea, and they were. He, I mean, he was out of the teen ministry, and then he, and then he grew up, and he, we put him in the ministry. He was kind of like proper from in his hometown, and he had to, you know. And uh, now they, they, they were our biggest source of of robbing us of significant growth. But for the last three years, he's grown over 10%. And uh, he's got a great wife, Ashley, who's an American, uh, African-American girl who married Felix. And she's totally fit into that culture. Had a baby there and everything, it's just phenomenal. Uh, they, have, they have seasoned guys like Mike and Karen Vasallo in Melbourne, who have that steady growth in Brisbane. They have John and Penny Hansel, steady growth. Uh, and uh, 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 I think, both of them have had significant growth as well. Uh, uh, I mean, Melbourne's gone from 175 in 2013 to 310, um, and Brisbane's gone from you know 50 to 110 as 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 well. That's they've done great. Yeah, that's uh, that's what's so powerful is that there's like health throughout the that whole region, and I look forward to coming down to visit you at some point. Maybe Pam and I'll take a vacation down there. Uh, we need to have you, we need to have, have you down for sure. Let me let me ask you a personal question, Mike. I, I want to get your advice. And the, and the Fiji Church too. The Church of Fiji is also, you know, uh, it was about to close its doors, and now there are about 110 members, and they've had it's the that's Hernandez amazing. The it's it's so encouraging, and it stands out in this day and age as as unique and inspiring. <laughs> and I want to just say thank you for the inspiration. On a personal note. I, you know, Mike, I'd love to plant 10 churches in the next 10 years. I'll be 65 in about 10 years. What advice would you give me if I want to plant 10 churches in 10 years? Like what, give, give me just, give me, throw me a bone here. Throw me something that I could start working on to see radical growth and multiplication in particular in the next 10 years. Yeah, I don't, I don't. I, I, that would be an ambitious goal to me to start 10 churches, you know, okay. especially when you start with, with the, I don't know, 136, mm-hmm. 136 people, you know, so I, I would, I would, I would almost, I'd start by saying I, I would reduce that and, and say five churches or something. And, okay. and then, because, because that's, you have to keep what you're doing going and then duplicate that. And so I, I, at times in the past, have, have overexpanded and, uh, and result, it kind of slowed down the growth ov- overall because uh, we had less, it was just was too much. It wasn't planned well enough. I didn't keep enough significant leaders around me to keep that going as well as, as things that were sent out. Uh, but you, first of all, you, you do need to have an atmosphere of we're a mission ch- planting church. And so uh, people start dreaming about being part of a planting. Mm-hmm. It becomes kind of a, wow, I could be part of a planting. And so you need to maybe spell out some places you really want to get done and start thinking, having certain people start praying about those places. And then I think God will begin to provide the leaders for those places. I, I, I do I do think uh, 
you know, um, you know, because we we you know we, we had a twenty twenty goal of planting two churches at, from twenty from two thousand thirteen to twenty twenty, or maybe three churches, but we probably have done two, right? We've probably done uh, we did Adelaide, and then and we now we have we now have about ten disciples in New Caledonia. And it's not really officially spun off as a new church, but it can be. We have one in an island planted. We wanted another, uh, the, the last city of a million planted in Australia. Now we're going to the second tier. So that our next uh, 10 years will be the second tier cities of like half a million or, or 400,000. So we have, a, you know, Canberra, uh, Newcastle, uh, uh, Hobart, uh, another capital city, uh, Darwin, and then Samoa and uh, um, Solomon Islands, and another church in Lay. Because uh, Papua New Guinea has seven million people in it, it's a lot of lot, lot of population there. So I, I would have a, a good goal, and then I, I have then you have create this atmosphere, and you talk about it. We want to have we want mission planning. I want us to be praying praying about specific places here, and when we pray about them, because you know you know the workers the harvest is plentiful, the workers are few. If, if I'm praying that prayer every day, if I, and I get my, I, I got a group, one, I got a Bible talk that was kind of floundering to start praying that prayer for 30 days in a, a row. But guess what? When you pray that prayer, the workers, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. It kind of dawns on you at some point in that process, I'm supposed to be one of those workers. <laughs> That's right. That's right. That's right. <laughs> and so you begin to fulfill that by even the prayer itself. Yeah. Yeah. Pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers. And lo and behold, he said, oh, here I am I, Lord, send me. You know, yeah. and it's kind of an exercise that really produces the kind of thing that, that, that we really need. That's right. Well, Mike, thank you, thank you so much for your time today. It's been such a great time. I, I can't tell you how much I respect you, your life, the, the work that you've devoted yourself to, your returning back to the mission field after coming back to America, raising your kids on the mission field. Uh, we could, I could talk for hours, but thank you so much for your time. And I really appreciate it. And I want to thank you today for joining me on the Rob Skinner podcast. My goal is to inspire you to make this life count, to live a no regrets life and to multiply disciples, leaders, and churches. If you enjoyed the program today, I'd like to ask you to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. Have a great day and make this life count.